Do you have something to say? Do you believe that everybody should be enabled, encouraged and empowered to tell their story? Speaking is power. As it's said, if you can speak well, you can influence. And if you can influence, you can change lives, your own and others. Welcome to the Let's Stand podcast, speaking up about speaking out. My name is Siobhan Fitzgerald and it's a pleasure to connect with you today. Series 2, what can you expect? Well, in Series 2, I'm going to explore 21st century skills and change-making skills of creativity, empathy, leadership, teamwork, well-being and innovation in education and life beyond education and how these vital life-enhancing skills link and intersect with communication and speaking skills. Today, leadership skills are vital in every field and consequently they are in high demand. If you are interested in the topic of leadership or becoming a truly effective leader yourself, this is the episode for you. You won't want to miss my conversation with Ted Corcoran, past international president of Toastmasters International. Ted, thank you so much for joining me this evening. Thank you for inviting me. You're very welcome, Ted. I've wanted for a long time to tell you that since um, since I read your book, The Leadership Bus, I became a school principal. I actually read that book just before becoming principal. <laughs> and I have to say it was the best leadership book I have read <laughs> because it's so it's so clearly explained to me. I think I'm a visual learner. But mm-hmm. it's so easily explained to me what leadership is all about. And mm-hmm. I'd love for the audience to learn a little bit about what you had in that book. So would you mind telling us a little bit about it? No problem. I was planning it for 10 years, and that's a lie. <laughs> the, first, <laughs> the, the first untruth of this interview. I was the, the president-elect of Toastmasters International. I was training eight district governors to be in June in Las Vegas 2003 and they were uh, they were at the regional training conference and my job was to train it for some hours out of the two days and I said all of a sudden I said to them you know when you go to bed on the 30th of June you're going to be Siobhan Fitzgerald or Ted Cochran and when you wake up on the 1st of July you still think you're Siobhan Fitzgerald or Ted Cochran, but you're not. To everybody else, you're Siobhan Fitzgerald, the district governor, or Ted Cochran, the district governor. And I said, and this is all just spontaneous. I said, you're a bit like a bus driver. If the bus driver doesn't know where he's going, the bus doesn't go anywhere. And I drew a bad bus on the flip chart and I put somebody in it. Now I said, look at the destination. No destination. You've got to have a vision. You've got to have a goal. You've got to have somewhere to aim for. And then I said, but you can't, you can't do all this in your own. You've got to get people on the bus to help you. I said, and I said this just off the top of my head. They fall into three categories. I said, the first slot says, oh, Siobhan, I'd love to go there with you. I've always wanted to do that. Mm, let me on. The second lot will say, mm, I don't know. I was down that way before and it didn't work out. Oh, sure, sure. You've got to persuade them. And the third lot say, oh, my dead body, will I go there? Well, leave them behind, for goodness sake, because all they do is cause trouble all the way. <laughs> and then I said, uh, I got another flash of inspiration. And I said, now that you have your people on the bus and you know where you're going, you start on your journey, the job is done. I said, no, it's only beginning. I said, because unless you treat them properly, and you remember the old double-decker buses we had in Dublin with the door mm-hmm. at the back? I said, they all slip out of the traffic lights, and you're driving away, and you're the only one on the bus. 
<laughs> you think they're behind you, but they're not. I said, no, in, in real life, of course, I said, they don't physically leave. What they do is they mentally leave. <laughs> and anyway, I had my 10 or 15 or 20 minutes, and I thought no more about it. That was June. I went to the, uh, to the uh, International Convention in 2003, which was in Atlanta. And they started coming up and they said, oh, I remember the story of the bus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, oh my God, they, they, they do remember it. And then I said, okay, I must, I must write something about that. And that's what I did. I watched it in 2008. It took me a few years to get going. And uh, yeah, that's how it happened. And of course, I've described to you what, what it's about. It's having a vision or a goal, having people on the bus to help you and looking after them while the job is being done. It's as simple as that. <laughs> yeah, as simple and really, really effective. Because even throughout my term as, as principal, that image kept coming back to me. And <laughs> I found it so helpful because I constantly question myself, are there people behind me? Are there people on the bus? And what do I need to do to get them on? So getting people on board. So I just thought it was brilliant, Ted. But Thank Ted, can, can we take a step back? And I'd love to hear a little bit about a little bit more about your own story. So who is right. Ted Corcoran? Well, he doesn't exist at all, actually, because my official name is Timothy Michael Corcoran. And as there were at least <laughs> dozens of Timothys in my father's side and my mother's side, and they were never called Timothy from the day they left the church after being baptized. They were called Tim and Timmy and Tade and Tady and Tig and Tigy. My mother called me Teddy. And I went up the first 18, 19 years of my life as Teddy Cochran. And then I got a job and I went to Cock to work. And that was the time of the Teddy Boys, which was not a good place to be associated with. <laughs> so I just chopped off the DY and I became Ted. And I'm Ted ever since, which is always a difficulty because my passport on <laughs> my official papers are Timothy. <laughs> um. So you're originally from Kerry, Ted, is that right? From about four miles outside Killarney on the west side towards Killarney, yes. If you know where Hotel Europe is on the road, I was another mile beyond that. A two-teacher school, two teachers, small, nearly 100 pupils, and um, no electricity for until 1956 when I was 13. So we had to make sure we worked in daylight. <laughs> I remember there was the fire, there were open fires, and you would bring your sod of turf with you or a piece of steak or something. And if you had your lunch, you had, we used to have bottles of milk. You put the bottle of milk in front of the fire to warm it up, take the take the cold out of it. <laughs> yeah. I've heard stories like that about the school that I'm teaching in as well. The mm -hmm. students bring in the sods of turf yeah. and all all of that. Were they happy days, Ted? I, 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 well, the school days were fine, uh, but my personal life wasn't because my poor mother got sick in March uh, 1951 when I was seven and passed away on, in August from tuberculous meningitis. And uh, she uh, caught the same disease that my aunt Mary uh, caught when she went to work in London at the train as a nurse in London and she passed away and she wasn't quite 90. So my grandparents were left childless because they only had two daughters. My mother and father and my younger brother and sister were living in the cottage, which was a, a, a large cottage with two bedrooms and a kitchen. <coughs> no electricity. Uh, open fire for cooking. And my father, of course, would be known in the terminology in Kerry at that time as a clanish dog. You oh. hear that expression? A oh. clan, clan meaning relative, stock in. So he married in. Whereas normally, oh. normally the lady married into the father, the man's house. Oh. So he was left with the alternative of, gee, you know, put us in an orphanage. But my grandmother intervened and said, no, she'd take care of us. And she did. Which is why the title of my book later on in your interview is called 
hiding a car and walking after it because that was one of our favorite sayings. It meant some useless exercise because my poor grandmother didn't um, hire a car very often, maybe two or three times a year to get into Killarney for some big shop. So if she, if she hired it to be really bad use for time and money to walk after it. So I dedicated it to her. So yes, the times were very tough. Times were very tough. Yeah, very tough. You have but many siblings, Ted. A younger brother, Sean, and a younger sister, Mary. There, Sean is, what, two years, three years younger than me. Mary is five years younger than me. She's married in... Kerry, where I grew up, and my brother lives in Ennis, married. So um, we all did reasonably well. My grandmother was interested in education and reading, so there was, there was, there was um, a constant supply of books before I went to school from her nephew who emigrated to Australia when he was 17 and a half. Half he went to Australia, never saw his mother his home or his country again. But he sent books home a couple of times a year, and I'd read every one of them before I ever went to school. And my grandfather would teach me um, simple arithmetic. He would shave, shave himself once a week on a Saturday night, ready for church mass on Sunday. And because there was no electric light, he had to do it on the windowsill. <laughs> and in those days, you had to have, you had to get soap or something, he had big, big, what did I call it? And then an open cutrow's razor. And mm. to, keep, to keep me quiet, he would uh, he would give me sums. So I could add, subtract, multiply, divide before I ever went to school. And I was at school and I was in low infants at the back of the class. And the first and second got a sum at the front and they couldn't do it. And the teacher, Mrs. O'Sullivan, said, nobody could. I said, miss. Yes, she said, I know the answer. <laughs> oh, come on. Wow. Oh, oh, I came with the answer. She said, who, who did that for you? I said, nobody, miss. I did. Who, who showed you how to do that? My granddad, miss. So I was a hero after that. <laughs> wow. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah, it was very good. Very, I still remember standing at the back of the class and putting my hand up. And then she didn't believe me. She thought somebody else had done it. <laughs> I think it was, a, it was bringing pounds, shillings and pence to pence or something like that. Mm, and my, mm. and so I could, I could do all that before I ever went to school. <laughs> wow. So, Ted, you've, you've lived through some huge changes yes. in the world. And, Ted, do you remember the first time you ever spoke in front of a group? Well... I can, I, can, I can think of the significant one that I did because people speak in, in front of small groups as part of a group, like five or six or seven or eight people. But I, I became the uh, chairman of our local residence association here in Val Doyle. And we had a Christmas dinner after Christmas in 1985 in January. And we invited all the local Knobs, Dr. Michael Woods, Minister for Justice, was on my right. Nora Owen, who subsequently became the Minister for Justice, on my left. And this is my first big occasion, 200 people. So it came to the time to begin. So I stood up and I said, please rise with me and we'll say grace together. In the name of the Father, and the Son, the Holy Spirit, Amen. And all I could think of, Siobhan, was bless me, Father, for I have sinned. I didn't say it. I didn't say it. Because <laughs> I didn't say it. Every time I went to start, that's what came into my head. Every single time. So five seconds, 10 seconds, 15 seconds, 20. They all start mooching around in their seats and, you know, what's he waiting for? Who's, who's he waiting for? They'd never done that he was waiting for him, for me. And then I had an idea. I turned to Michael Woods. Michael, I said, Michael, Michael, how does grace start? He says, bless us, O Lord, and these thy gifts. Oh, I was awake. <laughs> and then in 1985, in, in September, I was leaving work. I was the station master at Houston at the time. I stopped to say hello to Paddy, the security man, Paddy Dunhu. And uh, we can chat. 
And he said, would you like an evening paper? Because the evening presses went out by train that time down the country. I said, yeah, please. So when I came home, I saw a letter to the editor signed by Pierce Barrett, whom I knew through my football work, um, starting a new Toastmasters club in the Hollybrook Hotel, Clantarf, on the following Monday. So I said, oh, Mr. Colón, to see that now, see, because after my experience in January, this might be something I could do. But I won't get involved. I won't get involved. So they had the demo meeting, and then Pierce went to the men's room for two minutes. And while he was away, another man who was obviously the Toastmaster came over and said, we're forming a committee. Will you do president? I said, OK. <laughs> he persuaded you. <laughs> oh, Very no, easily. Uh, well, he, he didn't have to persuade me. At all. I just accepted. I said, OK. Oh. Because I, I do have a little, a little trilogy that I tell people uh, about success is always say yes to opportunity. Oh. Number one. Number two, never be afraid to ask for advice. And number three, always believe you're as good as the next person. And that got me to where I, where I got to. That's great <laughs> advice. But yeah. Ted, I'm just thinking of that episode when you were standing beside um, the minister, Minister Woods. And it just <laughs> strikes me that even though it didn't come into your head initially, you had great presence of mind. And you must have had a certain calmness to be able to think of asking him. I, I, I suppose you could say that. All right. Yes. I mean, otherwise, we just say, well, we won't have graced at all. We just pretend. <laughs> we just eat. <laughs> just, just eat. So, so that, was, that, was, that was Dr. Mikey Woods, whom I knew. I knew because he, was, he lived in the constituency. And because I was the chairman of the Residents Association, I had some dealings with him. So he wasn't a complete stranger to me. But I have seen so many people since, usually at golf outings when they're playing with three people in a, in a foursome or a four ball, and they win and they want to thank their partners and they can't remember their names. <laughs> it's, when, you, when you look out at people looking at you, <laughs> things can get, as they said on an ad-loan, discombobulated. <laughs> can you spell it? <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm only joking. <laughs> I know. I could if you. I could if you. This D I S C O M B U L A T E D. It's combobulated. Yeah. I think I left out one one bit. But anyway, anyway. So so yes. So so uh, presence of mind is 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 a great thing to have to do the right thing at the right time. And and may 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 I sidetrack into another story about presence of mind or calmness. Sure. Calmness under pressure. Mm. Uh, when I was the president in 2003, 2004, my final function was at the, um, the convention opening ceremonies uh, in Reno. So it's a big occasion. There's maybe 2,000 people, and all the all the directors are introduced, and the last person is the international president. Earlier in the day, I had a big problem in that they had forgotten the Irish national anthem. Uh, so it has only been played once in 98 years, and that was my year because, <laughs> I, I, by the way, I always say to people, you, you need to check out what's happening in advance. Don't wait for time. So I went in at four o'clock and I checked everything out, and then I casually said, well, have you the Irish national anthem? Oh, oh no, oh no, they never thought of it. So anyway, we got it. So I'm here waiting for my national anthem. Proudest punch when I see, but maybe five minutes to go to the 6.30 walk-in. And I see Suzanne Frey, who was the editor of our magazine up to recently, coming through the crowd. She said, Ted, 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 we have a crisis. Oh my God, I said, what is it? She said, the keynote speaker at seven o'clock has missed his flight. We don't know when he's going to arrive. Dear God, I said, what's plan B? She says, you are. <laughs> What am I going to do? <laughs> because you see, one thing you don't do in Toastmasters say, I sit there and talk away amongst yourselves when we get somewhere. <laughs> you never, you oh. never do that. You never do that. So I said, what is it? What is it? So I, I started describing my, my tour during the previous year because I'd been several places in the world and in America. And there was always something noteworthy in every one of them. And I kept it going for about 15 minutes. And then I saw people waving for me at the back. And it was our friend Richard Green was his name. And uh, I introduced him and I sat down and I sat there breathing again. But, but look, that's what Toastmasters teaches us. 
I couldn't agree with you more. It definitely prepares us for those times. And Ted, do you remember, do you recall how early or when you began to develop your own leadership skills? Yeah, well, I think it was when I when I moved to Dublin and I became a member of the Clantarf GA Club. And in a year or so, I was the captain. That was probably mm. my first leadership role. Then I became the chairman of the club, which was my second one. Then I graduated from there when those things passed me by to the chairman of the Residence Association. So, so then, of course, uh, we were up now to, to um, 85 when I joined the Fingal Toastmasters Club as the first president. And then uh, on and on and on after that, step by step. So, yes, Clantarf Football Club was my first leadership but I didn't know what leadership was, of course. I was, I was, I was the leader, but I had very little idea what, what it was because it's never mentioned when I was growing up at all. But you seem to always have that willingness to get involved and take the lead. Do you know where that came from? There's no doubt that that is true, that I listen, I observe, I consider, and usually I'll think of a way of improving the current situation. And that's happened in work, it's happened in Fingal Toastmasters, it's happened at International Toastmasters. And I suppose my most famous one happened to me when I was the equivalent of the club growth director in 1992, 93, uh, my first time being, being in America, being trained in Las Vegas. Uh, so it was a big, a big occasion for me. And when I got there, I found how awful we were as a district. We were, there were nearly 80 districts and we were down at the bottom in performance, but we didn't know it. Which causes me to tell people when I'm talking to them that without awareness, nothing can change. They must be aware first. If they're not, then it goes on. So we were trained with the rest of the overseas people because we were trained at the convention, whereas the Americans, Canadians were trained in June. They had a couple of months advantage. And they, they, the rest of the world was extremely successful. Australia, New Zealand, Southern Africa, District 74 was number six in the world. And they had a huge amount of what I called hierarchy to get the clubs to do the business at the bottom. So they had, they had uh, committees of all shapes and sizes, and they had chairs of these committees. And I made the joke that you have so many chairs, you could have a furniture factory. And then one day a guy called Owen Hayden, he was the district governor in, in South Africa, said to me over coffee, you know, what's your problem back in Ireland is, he said. No, I said, Owen, he says, you have too many social clubs. How do you mean social clubs? He says, you have a great time, but you get nothing done. <laughs> And then, because I was staying across the road from Valley's Hotel in the cheapy hotel called the Dunes, which is now, if you go to Vegas, the lake in front of Bellagio, uh, and there was no bridge across those days, I'm waiting for the lights to change, to go across, and into my head from nowhere came this idea. But if I could get the clubs to want to do it because they wanted to do it, and we helped them to get it done, then everything that they got done would go on to our bottom line as the district. So I went over, collected the district governor, Brian O'Connor from Cork and Norman from England, back to my room. And in an hour, we had created a thing called the Club Excellence Program. It had a small goal, it had a middle goal, and it had a big goal. We brought it to the business meeting in London in that year, um, 92, it was accepted. And by the 30th of June, 1993, we were number six in the world. Then we were 20th. Then in my year, we were second. Then we were 13th. Then we were sixth. Then we were seventh. We had come from absolutely nowhere to the top. But I got elected on the board, of course, and the strength of it, because this made major news how this totally non-performing, underperforming entity over all of a sudden, we're up here at the top every year. 
so I got elected and I wrote to Len Jury, the New Zealander who was the, the president in 1997. And I wrote him a letter with the facts about the Club Excellence Programme. And at the board meeting in February 98, that was turned into what you now know as the Distinguished Club Programme. Which every club uses across the world now. Yeah. Well, we had, we, <clears> had <throat> one, we had one goal, two goals and three goals. They set it out with, with 10 and you picked your whatever, five or seven or nine. Yeah, yeah. So there you are. I mean, there you are. So I, 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 I listened to what was happening at that particular training session. I observed the, the guys from, who were successful and I considered it and I said, oh, OK. This is an idea that could work. We, we have to excite the, the, as I call them, the, the production line. Wow. Yeah. What's coming across to me, Ted, and what you're saying is a few things, but um, the importance of listening, it mm -hmm. all starting with the listening and how important that is for leadership. But also it seems that you, you've, you've always had a solutions focused kind of a way of looking at things. Would I be right in saying that? Absolutely, continuous improvement. It might only be a, a small thing. Like I was at the Swords Club last Monday because I'm a member there too. And I was talking to the area director at the back. And all of a sudden they say, oh, hold on. Jenny is trying to give us the emergency. And she was, she was up at the top and she's a very low voice. And immediately I saw what the problem was. The, the president in source does not bang the table and say, no, bring this meeting to order and please welcome so-and-so to give you the emergency evacuation directions. She just stood up and set it off on her own. So there's an improvement straight away now that I've given to the president. Yeah. Bang the table three times with the gavel, then everybody will stop what they're doing. And then they listen to the lady giving the... So it, it's, I'm always trying to figure out better ways. Yes, I am. Fantastic. And Ted, would you say, were you encouraged or supported to develop what you now know as leadership skills in school, primary no. school or secondary school? None at all. No. Zero. It was never mentioned. You see, back in the day, there were two people who ruled over the parish. The master ruled over our, our school and the parish priest ruled over our over our outer school activities, and that was it. There was no other major figure in my in my young life. Then when I went to, um, the, the, well, the master, Denny Coffey, was so good to me because he put me forward for a county council scholarship uh, for two teacher schools, and I got one of the two in the county. And I got five years free education in St. Brendan's Killarney long before, of course, secondary education was free. But that was sort of 1966, 67, before Donald O'Malley introduced it as free education. So then when, when, when I passed my leaving or honours, I had honours, honours, Irish, English, Latin and Greek. Imagine, honours, Latin and Greek. Wow. Which was a big selling point down in Killarney. <laughs> <laughs> he came with, uh, with the with the with the Irish press, and there were there were um, there was a place where CIA was looking for clerical officers, and he he filled out the form with me, and within a month I had a job. So there you are. So he, he was he was extremely helpful to me. But I'm I'm digressing because there was no mention of leadership at all. No, none. The word was never used. And in your school experience, were you ever encouraged to speak up or speak out no. in any way? No, the, the old adage that my grandmother would often say, children should be seen and not heard. Have you heard that one? Oh, for sure, yeah. <laughs> so, so we, were, we were discouraged from speaking up. <laughs> I can't imagine what you would have achieved if you had been encouraged, given all that you've achieved in spite of it. But Ted, can you talk to us a little bit about the connection between leadership and communication? Well, it's so important. It's so important. If you if you just take that, what I started with the with the bus, where you have a vision and a goal, but you can't do it on your own, and you need people to help you, 
then you have to communicate that vision to them. Uh, you set the direction. You've got to get them on site. And that sometimes can take time. But I've often talked about this, that if I had a project and I was the boss, I could go into a meeting at 10 o'clock to all the people who work for me and say, okay, this is the project. And uh, we're starting in, in the first of the month. Or I could go in at 10 o'clock and say, I'm thinking about this project. What do you think about it? Have you got any, any views on it? And I would walk out at 11 o'clock with our project rather than my project. And that, I think, is the key, because the minute it becomes ours, it, there's a greater strength altogether behind it. Whereas it's my project, it's a lot weaker. And it's particularly weak in a, in a voluntary organization because you have no power except the power of communicating, uh, power of outlining what you want, power of communicating, power of, power of uh, what's in it for me, for the people who, who, who achieve it. So in, in my club in Fingal, we've been present distinguished every year since 1999. And it just happens every year because, because one of the ways, one of the things that happens when you do things successfully by involving people, you create a culture of achievement. And the best definition of culture I ever found was the way we do things around here. So people join our club and they never question, that's the way we do things around here in the story. You go somewhere else and there's nothing. I often think of this as that if you look at the 300 and something thousand Toastmasters, they're all pretty well educated. They've all careers or had careers or blossoming careers. Why do 50% of them are successful and 50% aren't? It isn't the lack of education. It isn't the lack of know-how. It's the lack of, of having a goal and working towards it together, in which communication is the determining factor. What you were saying about culture, Ted, we, you know, we talk about school culture and we actually use that expression very regularly. It's the way we do things around here. So it was very interesting to hear you say that. And I think it's very interesting, that connection between leadership and communication, because we know about it to a certain degree in Toastmasters, but prior to becoming a school leader myself, I had taken an additional course, a postgrad in education leadership, but nowhere throughout that course um, was I given the practice or experience of improving my communication skills. Yeah. And at the time, it didn't so much occur to me, but then I was introduced to your book and I was in Toastmasters and I began to consider this is so important. It is a huge part. It's going to be a huge part of what I do. Relationships are a huge part of leading a school community. So your book, again, reinforced that to me, the importance of relationships, the importance of communication. Well, thank you. That's I'm, I'm delighted to hear that firsthand from you. That's made a difference. And I would be I'm surprised that you reached that stage in your life without without learning the importance of of communication. Yeah, it's I suppose I knew the, the importance of it, but the practice. practice, I think what what Toastmasters is amazing for. And I've always said this, it's probably the best education program I've ever encountered because it's active learning. It's learning by doing. Yes. And that's what's powerful. Yes, so it's not any single minute or hour. It's a gradual gathering together of, yeah. of, expertise, yeah. of expertise. Yeah, Yeah. we learn by doing. So, Ted, do you think that everybody has the potential to become a leader? I don't think everybody has it, no. I, find, I found at work that people with high IQ tended not to be good communicators. Uh, people with high EQ or EI, emotional intelligence, uh, were. So, so I think that wh whereas people with high uh, IQ can, can learn, I suppose, if they put their minds to it, of the importance of it, 
but it seems to come naturally to the people with EI, emotional intelligence, because they have empathy. They have empathy. They, they, they can feel other people's pain and problems and, 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 and looking for solutions for them. And uh, I was lucky that I had, I had um, a managing director who was very empathetic with me and we had a good time. I, I was invited by the teacher of Ireland to his office to, for him to congratulate me on representing the country so well. And if you go, as you haven't read the September issue of the Toastmasters magazine, at the very last article, there's a piece about me and there's a picture, a photo of Bertie and myself shaking hands. And on the back wall is a photograph of De Valere. And Ted, what leadership skills did you need to go forward for that position of international president of Toastmasters International on reflection? I think, well, I had to be encouraged each time. And I think that's an important part of, of people's lives is to encourage other people because they can see something in them that perhaps we can't see ourselves. So I was encouraged all the way. And I was quite, quite amazed at winning the international director in 1996. And I went to the first board meeting in February 97, and there were 23 people around this big long table. And I'm saying, what am I doing here? Oh my, I'm, I'm representing the rest of the world outside North America. There's, <laughs> there's, 22, oh. there's 22 of them from North America. <laughs> and then I realized, you know, there's not that much difference. I, I, I know things too. And I apparently my summing up of what was being said was, was, was caught the attention of several people. And that's where my self-belief grew, that I could do this. And I had a wonderful campaign manager in Brian O'Connor, who was the district governor in 92, 93, the guy that went to Las Vegas with me. And we had a wonderful campaign team and we organized ourselves extremely well. And we just, we just blew them out of the water because um, when I declared in 1999 for the election in 2000, I was the only one. And September went by, October went by, November went by, December went by, I was still the only one. Usually there's four or five, but they have to have two for February. So now there's, there's a panic. So they got this guy to run against me. He's from Georgia. And we went off to Atlanta. And when the uh, votes were counted, I had 8797 and he had 1368. Uh, the biggest margin in the history of election for president <laughs> in Toastmasters. Wow. And there was no social media or anything at that oh, time? A wonderful team. I had a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful team. They were, they were so up for it. And it was a big occasion for everybody to actually, well, you know, I was elected third vice president because you, you work your way yeah, up. Yeah. Unless, you're, unless you rob a bank or murder somebody, it's, it's a, there's no vote, there's no election. It's, to happen. Yeah. So, yeah. so, so the, 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 the strength of, of a team behind you is so important. Uh, they were completely wedded to the idea that they would get me elected. And being Irish in America is no negative thing, you know, mm -hmm. no, at all, at all. And, uh, so I surprised myself, I suppose, by, by uh, how it happened. But, but I just took the next step. Take the next step. Um, and Ted, what were the particular additional leadership skills you developed then through that role in that year? It was 2003, 2004, that was the year you were president. Yes, well, I was chairing this large group of people. They're they're very systematic, though. They, they if you if you, um, you you have a you have a triangular sign in front of you with your name on it, and it's like that with your name on it. And if you want to speak, you put it up like that, and the, the president knows you want to speak. 
so so I can see along, around the table, see who wants to speak and take them in turn. And nobody can butt in, you see, which is very well controlled. And so I learned about the, how, how, how to organize a meeting for the best results. And I remember, uh, maybe there were practical things rather than psychological things, uh, because remember, all the people there are, 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 are Toastmasters who want to help the, the organization. Um, uh, I learned that if there was a decision to be made and it wasn't sort of, there was, there was 23 of us at this stage. So if there was 24 and three against, we'd go ahead with it. But they'd find out in advance if it was, you know, there was four and against. If we, if we were going to have a vote, how would you vote? <laughs> a straw poll, I think it's called. Yeah. So, a stop. And if it was if it was narrow, it would tell us that we haven't thought our way through this sufficiently, and then it would be put aside for another time. Another another one I, I remember is uh, Terry Daly was the president uh, from Minnesota, and we had a day long to do something, and we had an agenda items. So the very first thing he said is, "Right, how how much time are we going to give to each item?" So we did that, and then he, we had, he says, I'm sorry, he says, that won't work, we'll be here till tomorrow. <laughs> so say we had something, we reduced it 10 minutes. Well, after 10 minutes discussion, there was a vote. And how important that is in today's managing teams or chairing meetings is that it is business-like and fair for everybody. But yeah. the, lo the lone ranger who wants to paint the thing black when everybody else wants to paint it white doesn't hold up the whole show for hours and hours and hours. So I learned all about the practical things about leadership because the board makes the decision about the future policy, which I'm a big part of, of course. And the future policy is based on the current situation and what we can anticipate coming up. Yeah. It's, it's the mechanics of it. Yeah. <laughs> mechanics of it and um, and one of the things I did learn I, I just thought of it now is that in, in the year I was um, the president-elect I was tasked with rewriting the competent Toastmaster a, a group of us so we spent a day so the competent communicator that you had that's mm. That's mine, right? Wow, I didn't know. <laughs> yeah, of course, so how would you know? So we went back into the, to the so the three, there were three committees. I had this task with seven or eight people and there were two others. And we went back in then for the, what they call the, 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 the board of the whole, the whole board, just to sign off on it. And one guy, a fellow called Roger, was sitting down in the corner. And he had never opened his mouth. And then he said, he put, he put up his thing to say he wanted to speak. And he said, he says, we're Toastmasters International. We teach people communication skills. Why don't we call it competent communication? <laughs> and that's how that manual got its name, competent communication manual. All because one guy out of the whole lot said one thing, but it was germane. Yeah. So, so the lesson from that is there's always somebody there who has some idea that's worth hearing. Yeah. Wow, again, if you listen. If you listen. If you listen. <laughs> and, if, and if you're open to the fact that people may have other good ideas, because uh, the, 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 uh, there's, an old, um, there's an old Japanese proverb that I've used very often, which is, no one is as smart as all of us. No one is as smart as all of us. I've heard that. That's fantastic. Mm. Um, Ted, another saying that I've heard you use in the past is facts tell, stories sell. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious, if you haven't already sold Toastmasters to any prospective members, how would you sell Toastmasters to anybody listening who's not yet a member? Yeah, well, I had a guy sitting beside me at Fingal last Monday week. He's English, working for a company here in town. So I uh, I asked him why he was there, which probably was was easier than meeting somebody out in the street. But if I was meeting somebody in, in another, so I said, do you give presentations at work? Um, 
Do you um, participate in meetings? Do you um, do you put your ideas forward? Are you confident about in yourself? We had we have a lady, a young lady who joined two years ago, and she joined because she had to give an interview. Uh, she had to give presentations at work. And at two, two meetings ago or so, she told us that she had given this major presentation that, well, this lady is in her 20s, and people came up and said, oh, my God, you were awesome. So this is somebody that two years ago was afraid to stand up. So, 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 so people have a reason for coming to Toastmasters, um, but they don't know about Toastmasters most of the time. They, they don't know about us because we're not great at selling our wares. Now, um, we have 35 members in our club, and we usually have over 30 every year. And they, they come by word of mouth, or, or this guy that was sitting beside me found my number on the website and he phoned me up. So one has to keep putting it out there, the ability to get in touch. And... Uh, but yes, I'd ask them those questions because, because there's a reason for them coming. But usually it's a lack of confidence. Mm -hmm. And then you get into very sticky waters with me because if you get a lot of confidence from being in Toastmasters, but you still can't give a speech, uh, <laughs> you're, you're confident about talking, but you're only talking, you're not communicating. Uh, I, 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 I get quite annoyed about this because in my Rotary Club, we have probably 40 outside speakers a, a year. We meet on a Monday. And invariably, they just give us a pile of detail with no organization, no structure, no message, no call to action, just, just sentence after sentence after sentence. And my favorite story is about a guy uh, who represents a very well-known not-for-profit organization in Dublin. This 50-plus, well-built, extremely well-dressed, well-spoken, very confident. And he gave us 20 minutes about the organization he represented. And as soon as he sat down, I turned to David beside me. I said, David, tell me three things that man said. I whispered to David. David looked at the ceiling, looked at the floor, looked at the ceiling, looked at me. She said, I can't tell you one thing he said. <laughs> oh, I think that is just such an important <laughs> distinction that you made between talking and communicating. And, you know, I know myself, I've been at conferences, I've been at different talks where I've come away with nothing. Yeah. It's yeah. such a waste of time. Yeah. Yeah, and, and recently we had somebody from some charity, uh, a, a very, very welcome charity, and I can't think of the name of it now, but, but I went over to him afterwards. I said, you gave us a whole lot. You never asked us to do anything. How could we help you? I mean, yeah. he, he comes all the way. He talks to He never says, well, he, these are the ways we can be helped. He, he, he doesn't have to ask us directly, but he can show us ways we could help. Yeah. Yeah, I think in Toastmasters, we kind of learn that communication is a, a conversation between us and the audience. And that um, fundamental importance of the audience is something we become very aware of. Well, I, I, I use the, the um, conversation idea in a different context because people communicate principally in a conversation or in something that's written to them or in a speech. But there's a major difference between conversations uh, and written and a speech. In conversation, you ask me questions, I answer them, you ask me more, I ask you until you're clear and I'm clear. And if I write to you, you can read it a hundred times. But in a speech, if you don't get it when I say it, it's gone. Yeah. yeah. It's gone. It's gone. And, and I think the biggest problem in speeches that I've seen for so many years is the, the speaker leaves too much to the audience to work out what it's about. You know, he or she is speaking and expects the audience to make sense of what is being said. Yeah. And that is so difficult if, if the person is speaking about a subject the audience knows very little about. So, so, so 
it's fascinating to me to see these guys coming into the Rotary and spilling out 20 minutes, 25 minutes of detail about something that we know nothing about when he came in and we know nothing about when he goes out either. So you see, there are three types of audiences. There's the audience who are very familiar with the subject matter that you're going to speak about. So if you were going to speak to school principals about the business of being a school principal, mm. that'd be a different speech than speaking to a crowd of parents about being a school principal. You see yes. that straight away. You see that straight away, don't you? Of course, yeah. But 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 most people don't see that kind of uh, difference between the people who know. Uh, you can give them more detail. The people who don't know, you got to be more generous. Yeah. Yeah, that's that that makes it very clear. Ted, could you tell us a little bit now about your book, hiring a car and walking after it? I'd love to hear more. Well, what it is 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 um, it's fifty stories about my Toastmasters life and about people I met and places I was and a lesson from each one of them. And I decided to do it in what twenty nineteen, COVID had come, and I called it hiring a car and walking after. As I said, in honor of my grandmother. But there's there's stories from work and stories from Toastmasters and stories from travel. And the one, the one that I've used quite a lot is uh, what, what will be your legacy? And I was a station master in the 80s back in Houston. And one, I used to go out in the afternoon and uh, manage by walking around, you know, that expression, <laughs> talk to the staff and, yeah. and be, be, be nice to them and so on. I'd be interested in them, I suppose, is the, the word. So I was standing at Platform 5 in Houston, that's the one near the Liffey, and uh, it was coming up to 3 o'clock, the water train was about to leave, and this man came in, um, well-dressed, slim, healthy-looking. He said to my man, is this the train for Kilkenny? My man said yes. In he went, he wasn't gone 20 steps, he fell in a heap. And no matter what we did, we couldn't revive him. He was carted off across the road to St. St. James's, was it across the road? No, St. Stephen's. St. Stephen's. St. Stephen's Hospital. It's now the HSE Centre. So I found out from contacts in Kilkenny his name, what his name was. I looked it up in the paper and I found out that it was leaving St. Stephen's the next day at four o'clock. So I said, well, I must go over now and tell his relatives and friends what happened, how it happened, and all the things we did to save him, because we had all hands on deck. So over I went, there's a, there's a the hearse in the middle of the yard and a man sitting in it. So I went into the mortuary. There was poor Mr. S laid out. He said a prayer. I came back out. It was now five to four. So I went over to the hearse. I said, um, are you Mr. S's uh, undertaker? Yes, and I am. I said, I thought it was leaving at four o'clock. He said, it is. But I said, there's no one else here. He says, no, you're the only one. <laughs> so the question, so I can still see, uh, this is now how many, nearly 40 years ago, nearly 40 years ago, the, the coffin being brought out, being into the hearse, and it moves out, and there's stones on the, on the, on the thing, stones. I could see the gravel, and the sun was shining, it was June. And it goes out and turns left for Kilkenny. And I'm left there, the only representative at this poor man's funeral. And the title of that story is, What Will Be Your Legacy? Wow. And Ted, can I ask you, hmm? what will be your legacy? I would say it would be that I will remember for helping people, whether they're whether they're newcomers to Toastmasters or, or, or long-time members, helping an organization that I love because it's done so much good for me and for other people. And that, that, um, that I got on with people. And uh, uh, that would be my legacy, I would think, in the sense I know that in Toastmasters International at the, the functional end, I, I'm well highly regarded because of all my ideas that I've just told you about. That, mm -hmm. And by the way, there was another one that I didn't tell you about because two years ago in October, 
I was tasked with forming a committee and devising a new ballot for the international speech contest, which I spent nine months. I picked my own panel of people from around the world. And we presented a new ballot to the board last August, 12 months, and they're trialing it as far as I know, which is a completely different departure from the one that you know of, because it has four parts, 25 marks for each. First one is how it's put together. Second one is speech value. Third one is speech appeal. And the last one is the speech delivery. So the whole idea is to get people away from jumping around the stage and falling down and climbing up and things and, and, and giving a speech. And I'll tell you one last story about that because I saw it on Facebook during the year where this guy had a little, a little, what's the word, test at his club. He, he, he got them to see some TEDx talks and some uh, international speech talks. And he asked them two questions. For the, for the TEDx talks, can you tell me any memorable sentence or thought from those speeches? And they could. Can you tell me any memorable gesture or physical? They couldn't. Then we go to the international speech contest. Now, these are not club people. These are, these are the, the top of the speech final. Can you tell us, can you tell me any memorable thought or idea from the contest speeches? No. Can you tell us any memorable action or gesture? Yes. I thought that was so illuminating. But there was an extra bit which really caught me. There was, there was a past participant in the international speech final, world final at this particular meeting. And he said, oh, but should we never speak like that outside Toastmasters? And that is so true. It's what we do in Toastmasters, you won't see replicated outside Toastmasters. So we're teaching people the wrong stuff. Yeah. We are. Yeah. When, you, when you talk to your parents, at the school meeting, do you go flapping around and jumping? You do not. <laughs> no. I wouldn't get away with it. <laughs> so so here's, the, here's, the, here's the contradiction then. We're, we're teaching people by these contests, this is the way people should do it, when in fact it isn't. So what this particular new ballot will do when it's finally implemented, uh, will, will focus the judges on the things that matter speech value, speech appeal, was it put together properly? And it will not be down to the jumping around and falling down. And, and uh, the, there's 25 marks for each one. And we recommended that judges need to be trained. They all can be trained together when we start at the district level finals and gradually move down. So we get, we get people who know what they're doing. Well, I'm so amazed, Ted, at how willing you always are to give up your time, because I know quite a few members in Toastmasters that, you know, you've attended their meetings, you've given keynote speeches, you've acted as mentors for people. I'm, I'm just amazed at how much time you have. Do you have the same amount of time in the day as the rest of us? Yes, I do. <laughs> But I'm retired now since 2005, so I have plenty of time in my, my day. And I, I'm, this is my hobby, I suppose. And it's, uh, it's, um, it's what I do, what I like doing. It's where my friends are. I haven't played golf for four years since my, my walking deteriorated. So, but I still meet my friends in the golf club most Wednesdays for a chat and a drink. And I go to Rotary on a Monday. Well, there's another section of friends. So I have three sets, the Rotary friends, Toastmaster friends, the golf friends. Wow. You're always welcome to come to our Toastmasters for Golf Club. If yes. you want, you get a well, chance to talk about golf. Ted, would you say that you're a leadership guru? Do you like that term? That's, a, that's rather a strong word. But I certainly can speak about it and I can think about it and I can analyze it. And I know from experience at work and in Toastmasters and in Rotary, the difference between leadership and, and uh, not being a leader. 
And I, I defined it. I defined it for myself as management is what you do. Leadership is how you do it. Management, management is the technical things. Leadership is how you do it, your personality, how you approach it, how you get people on board, how you how you get them as part of the team. And how sometimes what you think is the right way to do something may not be the best way to do something, but you find out that none of us is as smart as all of us when you ask questions. No. Ed, I've learned so much again from you tonight um, at this during this conversation, but I just have two more questions. I don't want to hog your time, but who inspired your leadership journey, Ted? Was there anyone in particular? I would think there was. Um, he was he was my district operations manager. He was from down your neck of the woods, from from uh, between Athlone and Loch Ray. And the thing that shone out from him was support. I was a station manager in Houston. We had 200 people working. We had people who wanted to work and people who didn't. We had several million passengers a year. We had trains and we had all kinds of things. And uh, decisions have to be made, and decisions can be made if you know that the person above you will support you. And the guy that preceded him didn't want to know when trouble hit. And that was my first, my first, my first uh, example of the difference between feeling supported at work and not being supported. It's a very lonely position when you're in charge of the, best, the biggest station in Ireland, then you feel you have no support. So the importance of support. Um, Ted, just before I come to the last question, uh, I just want to say congratulations again, because I know you recently launched a really important book called A Comprehensive History of Toastmasters in Great Britain and Ireland. And you authored that book, is that right? Yes, I compiled it and I authored, I authored it back in 2014 as, as a Word doc, sorry, a PDF document. And I, I, I decided back then I wasn't going to publish it as a book. I didn't want the, where, who would buy it and this, where would I ever recruit my money? So I put it for free on the District 71 website under the history section, where it is to this day, as far as I know. And then this year, because it was the 50th anniversary, of the foundation of the district in August 1972, the leadership team decided, oh, we'll, we'll publish Ted's PDF as a book. So it's the district's book. They published it. Yeah. They, distrib they distribute it. And uh, I am glad that people like it because it's a really nice. Uh, have you seen it? I've seen it just online. Yeah. I haven't got a copy in my hand or anything yet. Well, well, Eileen O'Neill is the lady to contact, and I can send you her, her phone number. And she's, she's taking care of the distribution and taking the money. It's only 10 euro. And apparently the idea is they're going to give me 50 copies and I'll sign them when, as they get the names in. Yeah. I'll, I'll sign them. So you'll get a signed, signed copy eventually. 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 Fantastic. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. And Ted, I'll get uh, her details off you afterwards and maybe a link to how we can contact her and we'll put all of that in the description of the of this episode and so finally ted i'd love to hear from you what advice would you give to someone about to take on a leadership position well i think it falls into that that trilogy i talked about earlier always say yes because you, you will manage to do it. As I proven from saying yes in 1985 to being the international president, did I ever think that I would be even a club president? I don't mind it. But I did, bit by bit and year by year. And I took on the next challenge and then the next challenge. And I prepared and got support and, and worked hard and, and managed it. So the first thing is to say, Okay, I'll, I'll do that. 
The second thing is, there's so much advice out there that will put you in the right way. And that's advice about Toastmasters and this way it's done, but also about leadership and management. Uh, and the third thing is, oh, that, and this is the vital one, always believe you're as good as the next person. That's fantastic advice. Ted, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much. And thanks for being so generous with your time. Anytime. The Let's STEM program trains young people from ages 5 to 18 in the skills of public speaking. If you'd like to find out more, check out www.letstand.ie or email letstandspeakout at gmail.com. Until next time, think about what is your story? Thank you for listening. Let's stand speaking up about speaking out. If you say what you want